In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, as we continue with the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus continues to teach his disciples. Before we move into what Jesus is teaching and commanding, let's remember that the disciples pursued Jesus, the person. They set aside many of the normal aspects of life in order to pursue and spend time being in the presence of Jesus. They literally followed him around and they listened to him, they learned from him, they ate and slept with him, they spent a lot of time with him. And so before we look at these teachings, there is an important uh, question for us. Are we pursuing spending time with Jesus? Are we taking time out of our normal life in order to be with Jesus, the real living Jesus, not the Jesus of movies or the Jesus of Instagram or Facebook, but in fact, the real living Jesus. Because I'm convinced that unless we are doing that, we don't really have a very good chance of understanding what Jesus is teaching and commanding And we really don't have any chance, hardly at all, of actually doing what he's commanding in the Sermon on the Mount unless we are pursuing and spending time with Jesus. Anyone who's ever read Matthew 5 to 7 could not come to a different conclusion because, as we're about to see, these commandments are extraordinary and very difficult. Well... Let's look at where we have been. We uh, are saying that uh, Jesus is teaching his disciples. They are with him in his personal presence. They are accepting Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus is giving them wonderful news. He's saying to his disciples, those who have good hearts... He's saying to them, if you're humble and poor in spirit, if you're mourning, if you're meek, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, righteousness, if you're merciful, pure in heart, if you're a peacemaker, there's really good news because God's kingdom is available and open to you. You will enter in and enjoy your reward. Then Jesus says to his disciples that you are called to be salt and light in this world. Then he said something extraordinary. He said, because he is countering the Pharisees and their interpretation of the law of Moses, he is saying, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I actually came to fill them and to perfect them because I'm the actual word of God. Moses gave the laws and the commandments, and then there's all these interpretations after that, and the Pharisees had theirs, and rabbis had theirs, and so it was just a mixed bag of what is the meaning of all of this, and Jesus comes to totally clarify the Word of God because he himself is the Word of God. Jesus said, 
not a jot or a tittle, not any part of the law is going to be done away with until heaven and earth pass away. And so <clears throat> we have to understand what that might mean <clears throat> before the, the words today. <clears throat> Jesus, in fact, says, unless your righteousness actually exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is getting ridiculous, isn't it? So we have to understand the gravity of what is being said. And if we are disciples of Jesus and we don't know what's in the Sermon on the Mount, the most important teaching of Jesus that you can find in the New Testament, we better get at it. Because if what he's saying is true, and I really believe it's true, <laughs> I really do, we need to know what this is all about. So a great Lenten discipline would be to read Matthew 5 through 7 a number of times and begin to struggle with the meaning of it. Well, Jesus goes on and says that uh, he is going to clarify the law. What he's doing is he's pitting himself against the interpretation of the Pharisees. And he says, you've heard that it was said in ancient times, referring to the law of Moses, that you should not murder. But I say to you, meaning the son and word of God is clarifying the truth for you, the real truth, God's truth. I say to you that if you have anger in your heart, you're in real trouble. You've heard that it says that you're not supposed to commit adultery, but I say to you as God's word that if you have lust in your heart, then you've already committed adultery in your heart. So... Here we are, all murderers and adulterers. And if you don't see yourself that way, you may not understand exactly what Jesus is saying. Because we are certainly guilty of those things in our hearts. Because all of us have had murderous anger in our hearts. And all of us have had lust in our hearts. It's not just for Jimmy Carter. If you remember all of that. So, what on earth are we to do? Well, before we begin to look at what Jesus is doing, we also want to remember another thing. Jesus himself is not just giving us a list of rules and regulations and saying, okay, I've even made it harder for you, so go out there and try even harder because now I'm Jesus is here and you just have to try even harder than you did before. That's not is what is happening. In fact, what he is doing is he is revealing a new and higher way of being a human being. And that is called being a child of God, our heavenly father. Jesus himself has, in fact, been that higher human being because he is the new Adam. He's the new supreme humanity. And we follow Jesus in his way in order to become children of God. Jesus has actually done everything that he is preaching about or he will do through his life and his death and his resurrection, 
But Jesus has absolutely loved God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he's loved his neighbor completely as himself. And he has uh, proven that he himself is the way, the truth, and the life. And so Jesus didn't come to die so we wouldn't have to do any of this. In fact, he died as a way of showing us what to do. And that's a very important point. Because we've lived in the South and because we've lived in the Bible Belt, we probably have heard somewhere down the line that, well, Jesus died and all that stuff is done away with and we kind of just get to do whatever we want. Or if we have some conscience about some of the things, we just get forgiveness and none of those laws make any difference anyway. Well, that's certainly not what Jesus says in this passage. So if we're taking this seriously, we've got to sort this all out. Well, Jesus is the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. So let's look at what he's doing. And this conversation is going to continue on into next week because we finish this chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount next week. And then we're done with it, unfortunately. But... Uh, As you can tell, I've really enjoyed looking at this in a deeper way myself. Jesus is going from the external to the internal world of the heart. He's going from the external command, don't murder, don't commit adultery, which the Pharisees said, oh good, I I haven't committed adultery, I haven't murdered anybody. I'm righteous before the Lord because I have done what the law has said. But Jesus says, oh no, you don't understand God's law. God's law is not just about the external. It's about the internal world of the heart. It's going down into the inner world of our motives and our desires. Because that's where the real ballgame is. And that inner world of the heart is unfortunately where most of us assume we operate without notice and it's where we're really in charge. But the truth is, we're not really in charge. God is in charge. The Lord Jesus is in charge. And we can't go unnoticed because our heart is open to God. No secret can be hid from God. We pray in the prayer for purity. Now, isn't that a great thing to pray, the prayer of purity, now that you've heard a few of these words of Jesus? It's important to ask for the purification of our hearts from God and from Christ. The law was tit for tat. It was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus comes and basically sums up the center of the law as you have to love God and you have to love your neighbor. So it doesn't matter if your neighbor likes you or uh, how they feel about you or is sinning even against you. The response of love is in fact the requirement. And that is something that Jesus himself showed us on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. For they don't even know what they're doing. The natural human heart may say, if I ever get off of this cross, I'm going to wipe every one of you out. But that's not the way of Jesus. That's not the higher way of 
being a child of our Heavenly Father. And so, love ruling and transforming our hearts to become like God, to become children, is in fact our task. Jesus finishes the fifth chapter of this Sermon on the Mount by saying this to his disciples and to us, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So there's no end to this. There's no end to this. This is our calling. This is our vocation until our very last breath. Well, what we struggle with is the fact that we don't have a whole heart. Our heart is divided. It's segmented. It's compartmentalized. Ego, self, the devil, and God all reside in our hearts right now. Our task as disciples is to become wholehearted, to root out ego, self, and the devil until only God and love reside in our heart. That is the state called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. That is where we are headed because only God and God's love will reign and be present. But we're called now to a conversion of heart, a conversion of heart. This transformation of our hearts is in fact the task of every disciple of Jesus. At the end of Matthew's gospel, where there are sheep and goats, the only difference between the sheep and the goats are the sheep through the love of God, have actually done something for somebody else. And they didn't even know it was Jesus, but they had enough love in their hearts to reach out and do something good for somebody else, like give a cup of cold water, say a good word, visit somebody in prison, help someone. And the, she- and the goats, they didn't do that. The love in their heart never reached them enough to cause them to act in loving ways to other. And that's the difference between the sheep and the goats. And that's the difference between moving into the kingdom of God and moving into Gehenna or the the hell that is mentioned. And so we have to ask ourselves, what are we going to do with these commandments of Jesus? What are we possibly going to do? We all know that we struggle in our hearts in many, many ways. And we don't get credit if lust is not your forte, but anger and gossip is. You don't get extra credit for having uh, fewer. The fact that we have any means that we still need to move forward with this conversion of heart, this transformation of heart. So what are we going to do with these commandments of Jesus? We can ignore them at our peril because I really do believe Jesus means what he says. Well, we could try to make a theological move and bypass them and try to convince ourselves that, well, Paul said that we don't have to worry about any of this law stuff because Jesus died for our sins and none of the laws make any difference anymore. Ultimately, 
But I would suggest to you to be very careful with that view. It could mean that you are misunderstanding the Apostle Paul, and you would not want to do that because the stakes are simply too high. So I would be careful about trying to engage these in a theological way to get out of them. The next thing we could do is we could admit failure and endure defeat with complacency. And I think that many of us have done that. I've done that for years. You just admit defeat and you just carry on as the best you can, complacent that you are completely defeated to do what Jesus said we're supposed to be doing and being and becoming. That's, that's not a good Christian life. It's really not the Christian life. It's actually a misunderstanding of the Christian life, in fact. What we are called to do is to engage these commandments. We must engage these commandments, and they keep going on and on. See, that's the problem. We only just barely even touch two of them about murder and anger and, and uh, adultery and lust. But they just keep going on and on. So it's a, it's a challenge. But we must engage these commandments and our conversion of heart to become wholehearted. And we have to do this in the midst of our work, in the midst of our family, in the midst of our pursuits, in the midst of our service and outreach today. We have to do it in real life. So how are we going to do that? The truth is God's love is perfect for each one of us. It's perfect for the people who have no desire to do any of these commandments. These commandments are not about getting God to love us. God loves everyone completely, perfectly. But God's perfect love always seeks for the perfection of the beloved. That's me and you. God's perfect love will never rest at moving our wills and our hearts to be converted to become just like God. To totally become someone who is wholehearted, who is full of the love of God. So this process that God calls us to, intends us to be about, never, never ends. It's a lifelong process. Now, since God's perfect love is seeking to perfect us, his beloved, we have to engage these commandments. And how might we do that? Well, the first thing we have to know is there are no way to actually fulfill the commands of Jesus by ourselves. If you are hearing this today and thinking, okay, I'm going to try harder, I'm going to, I'm going to do better, uh, and, and make it a New Year's resolution, you're misunderstanding what I'm in fact trying to say. But we can only fulfill these commandments if we allow Jesus to enter our hearts and that we pursue him and spend time with him because there's no way to live the life of Jesus apart from Jesus himself. He has to come inside of us. We have to allow him to be in us and with us 
to empower us with his personal risen presence to actually love like he loves. So the good news is you can't do this. I can't do this. No one can do this apart from Jesus and the spirit. No one can love and live like God apart from God. We were never made to. So that is really the good news. So congratulate yourself today on your way out that there's no way that you can fulfill the commands of Jesus by yourself. Isn't that great? It's a freeing principle, isn't it? But to further engage it, we have to say, well, then how do I gain Jesus? How, how, how does he actually enter my mind, my heart, my thoughts, my feelings, my hands, my feet to actually become the love of God, to really live all of this out? And we're going to save most of that for next time. But the truth is, that's what we're here for. We're here to worship God, to open our hearts, to hear the word of God, to be filled with the spirit, to receive the actual presence of Christ for this conversion experience that goes on and on and on. It goes on as much as we will allow it. And so worship, receiving communion, prayer, scripture, Those are all of the classic ways and reaching out and serving others, especially the poor who can't pay you back. That's being like God. All of those are ways that we slowly allow God, Christ, the Holy Spirit to change and transform our hearts. So let's just leave with the good news. The good news is is that apart from Christ and the Spirit, We have no way of fulfilling any of these commandments. Isn't that great to know that? But we have to go further in our engagement. How is it? How do we need to retool our thinking and our mind and our heart to allow Christ and the Spirit to transform our heart, to convert our hearts, to truly to become children of God, loving like our Heavenly Father? Amen.